Hi there. We're having something a little bit different this week because we've had some behind-the-scenes trouble with scheduling and all the rest of that boring stuff that you don't really want to hear about on a podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about a horror story that I really like and that was made into a movie, Children of the Corn. Uh, I'm going to read part one now, and then I'm going to talk about what I think makes it great. And then on Sunday, I'm going to do the same for part two. So, without further ado, on with the show. Bert turned the radio on too loud and didn't turn it down because they were on the verge of another argument and he didn't want it to happen. He was desperate for it not to happen. Vicky said something. What? he shouted. Turn it down! Do you want to break my eardrums? He bit down hard on what might have come through his mouth and turned it down. Vicky was fanning herself with her scarf, even though the T-Bird was air-conditioned. Where are we, anyway? Nebraska. She gave him a cold, neutral look. Yes, Bert. I know we're in Nebraska, Bert. But where the hell are we? You've got the road atlas. Look it up, or can't you read? Such wit. This is why we got off the turnpike. So we could look at 300 miles of corn and enjoy the wit and wisdom of Bert Robeson. He was gripping the steering wheel so hard his knuckles were white. He decided he was holding it that tightly because if he loosened up, why, one of those hands might just fly off and hit the ex-prom queen beside him right in the chops. We're saving our marriage, he told himself. Yes. We're doing it the same way us grunts went about saving villages in the war. Vicky, he said carefully, I have driven 1,500 miles on turnpikes since we left Boston. I did all that driving myself because you refused to drive. Then, I did not refuse, Vicky said hotly. Just because I get migraines when I drive for a long time, then when I asked you if you'd navigate for me on some of the secondary roads, you said, sure, Bert. Those were your exact words. Sure, Bert. Then, sometimes, I wonder how I ever wound up married to you. By saying two little words. She stared at him for a moment, white-lipped, and then picked up the road atlas. She turned the pages savagely. It had been a mistake leaving the turnpike, Bert thought morosely. It was a shame, too, because up until then they'd been doing pretty well, treating each other almost like human beings. It had sometimes seemed that this trip to the coast, ostensibly to see Vicky's brother and his wife, but actually a last-ditch attempt to patch up their own marriage, was going to work. But since they left the pike, it had been bad again. How bad? Well, terrible, actually. We left the turnpike at Hamburg, right? Right. There's nothing more until Gatlin, she said. Twenty miles. Wide place in the road. Do you suppose we could stop there and get something to eat? Or does your almighty schedule say we have to go until two o'clock like we did yesterday? He took his eyes off the road to look at her. I've about had it, Vicky. As far as I'm concerned, we can turn right here and go home and see that lawyer you wanted to talk to, because this isn't working yet. She had faced forward again, her expression stonily set. It suddenly turned to surprise and fear. Bert, look out, you're going to... He turned his attention back to the road just in time to see something vanish under the T-Bird bumper. A moment later, while he was only beginning to switch from gas to brake, he felt something thump sickeningly under the front and then back wheels. They were thrown forward as the car braked along the centre line, decelerating from 50 to zero along black skid marks. A dog, he said. Tell me it was a dog, Vicky. Her face was a pallid, cottage cheese colour. A boy. A little boy. He just ran out of the corn and... Congratulations, Tiger. She fumbled the car door open, leaned out and threw up. Bert sat straight behind the T-Bird's wheel, hands still gripping it loosely. He was aware of nothing for a long time but the rich, dark smell of fertiliser. Then he saw that Vicky was gone, and when he looked in the outside mirror, he saw her stumbling clumsily back towards a heaped bundle that looked like a pile of rags. She was ordinarily a graceful woman, but now her grace was gone. Robbed. It's manslaughter. That's what they call it. I took my eyes off the road. 
he turned the ignition off and got out. The wind rustled softly through the growing man-high corn, making a weird sound like respiration. Vicky was standing over the bundle of rags now, and he could hear her sobbing. He was halfway between the car and where she stood, and something caught his eye on the left, a gaudy splash of red amid all that green, as bright as barn paint. He stopped, looking directly into the corn. He found himself thinking anything to untrack from those rags that were not rags, that it must have been a fantastically good growing season for corn. It grew close together, almost ready to bear. You could plunge into those neat shaded rows and spend a day trying to find your way out again. But the neatness was broken here. Several tall corn stalks had been broken and leaned askew. And what was that further back in the shadows? Bert! Vicky screamed at him. Don't you want to come see, so you can tell all your poker buddies what you bagged in Nebraska? Don't you? But the rest was lost in fresh sobs. Her shadow was puddled starkly around her feet. It was almost noon. Shade closed over him as he entered the corn. The red barn paint was blood. There was a low, somnolent buzz as flies lit, tasted, and buzzed off again. Maybe to tell others. There was more blood on the leaves further in. Surely it couldn't have splattered this far. And then he was standing over the object he had seen from the road. He picked it up. The neatness of the rose was disturbed here. Several stalks were canted drunkly. Two of them had been broken clean off. The earth had been gouged. There was blood. The corn rustled. With a little shiver, he walked back to the road. Vicky was having hysterics, screaming unintelligible words at him, crying, laughing. Who would have thought it could end in such a melodramatic way? He looked at her and saw she wasn't having an identity crisis or a difficult life transition or any of those trendy things. He hated her. He gave her a hard slap across the face. She stopped short and put a hand against the reddening impression of his fingers. You'll go to jail, Bert, she said solemnly. I don't think so, he said, and put the suitcase he had found in the corner at her feet. What? I don't know. I guess it belonged to him. He pointed at the sprawled, face-down body that lay in the road. No more than thirteen from the look of him. The suitcase was old. The brown leather was battered and scuffed. Two hanks of clothesline had been wrapped around it and tied in large, clownish grannies. Vicky bent to undo one of them, saw the blood greased into the knot, and withdrew. But Bert knelt and turned the body over gently. I don't want to look, Vicky said, staring down helplessly anyway. And when the staring, sightless face flopped up to regard them, she screamed again. The boy's face was dirty, his face an expression of grimace of terror. The boy's face was dirty, his expression a grimace of terror. His throat had been cut. Bert got up and put his arms around Vicky as she began to sway. Don't faint, he said very quietly. Do you hear me, Vicky? Don't faint. He repeated it over and over, and at last she began to recover and held him tight. There might have been dancing, there on the noonstruck road with the boy's corpse at their feet. Vicky? What? Muffled against his shirt. Go back to the car and put the keys in your pocket. Get the blanket out of the back seat and my rifle. Bring them here. The rifle? Someone cut his throat. Maybe whoever's watching us. Her head jerked up and her wide eyes considered the corn. It marched away as far as the eye could see, undulating up and down small dips and rises of land. I imagine he's gone, but why take chances? Go on, do it. She walked stiltedly back to the car, her shadow following, a dark mascot who struck close. She walked stiltedly back to the car, her shadow following, a dark mascot who stuck close at this hour of the day. When she leaned into the back seat, Bert squatted beside the boy. White male, no distinguishing marks. Run over, yes, but the T-bird hadn't cut the kid's throat. It had been cut raggedly and inefficiently. No army sergeant had shown the killer the finer points of hand-to-hand -hand assassination. 
but the final effect had been deadly. He had either run or been pushed through the last 30 feet of corn, dead or mortally wounded, and Bert Robison had run him down. If the boy had still been alive when the car hit him, his life had been cut short by 30 seconds, at most. Vicky tapped him on the shoulder and he jumped. She was standing with the brown army blanket over her left arm, the cased pump shotgun in her right hand, her face averted. He took the blanket and spread it on the road. He rolled the body onto it. Vicky uttered a desperate little moan. You okay? He looked up at her. Vicky? Okay, she said in a strangled voice. He flipped the sides of the blanket over the body and scooped it up, hating the thick, dead weight of it. It tried to make a U in his arms and slither through his grasp. He clutched it tighter, and they walked back to the T-Bird. Open the trunk, he grunted. The trunk was full of travel stuff, suitcases and souvenirs. Vicky shifted most of it into the back seat, and Bert slipped the body into the maid's space and slammed the trunk lid down. A sigh of relief escaped him. Vicky was standing by the driver's side door, still holding the cased rifle. Just put it in the back and get in. He looked at his watch and saw only 15 minutes had passed. It seemed like hours. What about the suitcase? she asked. He trotted back down the road to where it stood on the white line, like the focal point in an impressionist painting. He picked it up by its tattered handle and paused for a moment. He had a strong sensation of being watched. It was a feeling he had read about in books, mostly cheap fiction, and he'd always doubted its reality. Now he didn't. It was as if there were people in the corn, maybe a lot of them, coldly estimating whether the woman could get the gun out of the case and use it before they could grab him, drag him into the shady rows, cut his throat, heart beating thickly. He ran back to the car, pulled the keys out of the trunk lock and got in. Vicky was crying again. Bert got them moving, and before a minute had passed, he could no longer pick out the spot where it had happened in the rearview mirror. "'What did you say the next town was?' he asked. "'Oh,' she bent over the road atlas again. "'Gatling. We should be there in ten minutes. "'Does it look big enough to have a police station?' "'No, it's just a dot. Maybe there's a constable.' They drove in silence for a while. They passed a silo on the left, nothing else but corn. Nothing passed them going the other way, not even a farm truck. Have we passed anything since we got off the turnpike, Vicky? She thought about it. A car and a tractor at that intersection. No, since we got on this road, Route 17. No, I don't think we have. Earlier, this might have been the preface to some cutting remark. Now she only stared out of her half of the windshield at the unrolling road and the endless dotted line. Vicky? Could you open the suitcase? Do you think it might matter? don't know. It might. While she picked at the knots, her face was set in a peculiar way, expressionless but tight-mouthed, that Bert remembered his mother wearing when she pulled the innards out of the Sunday chicken. Bert turned on the radio again. The pop station they had been listening to was almost obliterated in static, and Bert switched, running the red marker slowly down the dial. Farm reports, Buck Owens, Tammy Wynette, all distant, nearly distorted into babble. Then, near the end of the dial, one single word blared out of the speaker, so loud and clear that the lips which uttered it might have been directly beneath the grill of the dashboard speaker. Atonement! This voice bellowed. Bert made a surprised grunting sound. Vicky jumped. Only by the blood of the lamb are we saved, the voice roared, and Bert hurriedly turned the sound down. The station was close, all right, so close that, yes, there it was, poking out of the corner at the horizon a spidery red tripod against the blue. The radio tower. Atonement is the word, brothers and sisters, the voice told them, dropping to a more conversational pitch. 
in the background, off mic, voices murmured, Amen. There's some that thinks it's okay to get out in the world, as if you could work and walk in the world without being smirched by the world. Now is that what the word of God teaches us? Off mic, but still loud, No! Holy Jesus! the evangelist shouted, and now the words came in a powerful, pumping cadence, almost as compelling as a driving rock and roll beat. When they're going to know that way is death? When they're going to know that the wages of the world are paid on the other side? Huh? Huh? Lord has said there's many mansions in his house, but there's no room for the fornicator, no room for the coveter, no room for the defiler of the corn, no room for the homosexual, no room... Vicky snapped it off. That drivel makes me sick. What did he say? Bert asked her. What did he say about corn? I didn't hear it. She was picking at the second clothesline knot. He said something about the corn. I know he did. I got it, Vicky said, and the suitcase fell open in her lap. They were passing a sign that said, Gatlin, five miles. Drive carefully, protect our children. The sign had been put up by the Elks. There were 22 bullet holes in it. Socks, Vicky said. Two pairs of pants, a shirt, a belt, a string tie with a... She held it up, showing him the peeling gilt neck clasp. Who's that? Bert glanced at it. Uh, hop along Cassidy, I think. Oh, she put it back. She was crying again. After a moment, Bert said, Did anything strike you funny about that radio sermon? No, I had enough of that stuff as a kid to last me forever. I told you about it. Didn't you think he sounded kind of young, that preacher? She uttered a mirthless laugh. A teenager, maybe? So what? That's what's so monstrous about that whole trip. They like to get hold of them when their minds are still rubber. They know how to put all the emotional checks and balances in. You should have been at some of the tent meetings my mother and father dragged me to. Some of the ones I was saved at. Let's see, there was Baby Hortense, the singing Marvel, she was eight. She'd come on and sing Leaning of the Everlasting Arms while her daddy passed the plate, telling everybody to dig deep now, let's not let this little child of God down. Then there was Norman Staunton. He used to preach hellfire and brimstone in this little Lord Falteroy outfit with short pants. He was only seven. She nodded at his look of unbelief. They weren't the only two either. There were plenty of them on the circuit. They were good draws. She spat the word. Rudy Stampnell. She was a ten-year-old faith healer. The Grace Sisters. They used to come on with their little tinfoil halos over their heads and... Oh! What is it? He jerked around to look at her at what she was holding in her hands. Vicky was staring at it raptly. Her slowly signing hands had snagged it on the bottom of the suitcase and had brought it up as she talked. Bert pulled over to take a better look. She gave it to him wordlessly. It was a crucifix that had been made from twists of corn husk, once green, now dry. Attached to this by woven corn silk was a dwarf corn cob. Most of the kernels had been carefully removed, probably dug out one at a time with a pocket knife. Those kernels remaining formed a crude, cruciform figure in yellowish bas-relief. Corn kernel eyes, each slit long ways to suggest pupils. Outstretched kernel arms, the legs together, terminating in a rough indication of bare feet. Above, four letters, also raised from the bone-white cob. I-N-R-I. Children of the Corn was a short story written by Stephen King. It was first released in the collection Night Shift, along with a lot of other really scary stories. I first read this book when I was staying in a cabin in the middle of nowhere, and every single one of the stories really sort of affected me. I picked this one just for today because I think some of the language used in it and some of the horror that it, it shows is 
a lot more terrifying than I think a lot of other horror. I think it has a brilliant use of language, which obviously is something that Stephen King's brilliant at, but things like um, the child preacher who, who speaks on the on the radio, he says, he's trying to say the word homosexual, as if to say these people are sinners. But he pronounces it poorly, as though he's never actually seen it written down. He's only ever heard it said by other sort of foaming-at-the-mouth, furious preachers. And I think it's things like that, little bits of dialogue that tell a huge story in and of themselves, which I utterly love. I also think that the way that this short story contextualizes almost the sort of domestic horror of, of, of what's going on, it opens with, obviously, that horrific argument between uh, the two main characters. And reading through it, this might just be me, but I don't think it is, I think it's it, it pulls at something deep in your mind where you're utterly terrified of being in such a toxic situation as that. A situation where, I mean, he hits her. That's a toxic situation, a domestic abuse situation. It tugs at that sort of something deep in the back of your mind thinking that would be one of the worst things that could happen to me. I would hate that. That would be awful. So it sets you on edge right away, right instantly, as soon as you're into the story. I love reading horror short stories, and this one is a good one, but I have the book in my hands. It's, um, how many pages? 409, 410 pages? Every single one is utterly terrifying. I finished um, one of the stories, which I was thinking about reading here, but it's a bit too short. Um, the Boogeyman or the boogeyman, I'm not entirely sure how I'm meant to pronounce it. Um, I read that, it's only three or four pages long, I put the book down, and I had nightmares that night. It's utterly chilling. If you have a chance to pick up a copy of Night Shift, definitely do. I've got a battered old second-hand copy where the front cover, sorry, the, the spine is a different colour to the front cover, because it's been sat in a bookcase, and, and the sun's been on it, so it's sort of bleached a little bit. But the stories are utterly terrifying. I would really recommend um, checking out, uh, uh, try and pick up a copy of this. Hi, I'm just interrupting to say that we're going to take this opportunity to run one or two ads, so enjoy, and uh, be back soon. Danny, I've got some amazing news. Oh, really? What? I'm going to make you a hat. Thanks, but, but why? Well, because Right Side Yarns, who sell beautiful and unique wool, have recently released a new range. Oh, I've heard of them. Aren't they that fantastic Scottish business that sells high-quality hand-dyed products perfect for crafting with? They certainly are, and they're sponsoring the show. R really? Have they heard the show? Yes, and apparently they like it. Kezia, the owner of the business, has given us a generous 15% off code for any of our listeners to use. Is, is that why you've got Void15 written in your hand? It is! If you or any of our listeners would like to use the code, simply enter VOID15 at checkout with a capital V. Great! Where do I check out? You can go to their website at rightsideyarns.co.uk or check them out on Instagram at kezia underscore rightsideyarns. Fantastic! This hat you're making me better be good. We've also actually got a new sponsor this week. Uh, you can check them out. They are Cafe Hormozy. They make amazing coffee and they roast it amazingly well. They are actually my favourite roastery. Make sure to check them out. They're hormozy.co.uk. That's H-O-R-M-O-Z-I.co.uk. Um, you can pick up any of their coffee for a really great price and you can use the code SITV5 at checkout for a 5% discount. Okay, thanks. If you enjoyed getting started on Children of the Corn today, I'm going to finish off Children of the Corn on a bigger episode on Sunday. 
Uh, the first little half of the story is only a couple of pages. The second half is quite a few more pages. So um, I'm not sure how long the episode will be, but I'm sure we'll we'll see then. Um, okay, thank you very much for listening. I know this has been something really different to the normal episodes that we produce. It's um, some a little sort of format idea that we thought might be cool, and we thought we might give it a go. So um, let us know what you think. If you liked it, if you didn't like it, if there's something I could do better or worse or whatever you might think. Um, Okay, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you on Sunday. If you really like this podcast and you would like to hear more or see more or read more or any of that sort of thing, you can check out all the other things we do. You can go to linktr.ee slash lewis underscore brindley for my social media and all that sort of stuff, slash ohiram for Danny's stuff, and slash shouting into the void for the podcast stuff as a whole. We have a YouTube channel, we've got a Patreon, we've got a PayPal donate button, we've got loads of different bits and bobs, and we would actually like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons. Dougie, Natalie, Richard, Aditya, Sophie, Peter, Darius, and Chloe. Thank you one and all. You make the podcast possible, and it's thanks to your support that we can do stuff like this. We love doing creative stuff like this, and it means the world that you're, well, facilitating it. So thank you so much. Um, if you'd like to join them, go to patreon.com slash shouting into the void. You can check out all of our tiers that we've got available. Take a look. You might see something you like. Thank you. Okay, uh, that is the end of the episode. I'll see you on Sunday. Thanks. Thanks.